Welcome to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. This is an education-based show focusing on tech careers and how to incorporate the important aspects of technology in your current work. Each show brings you closer to tech success. Now, here's your host, Dr. Sharon Jones. Hello, and welcome back to another Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. I am so honored to have you join us again for a great conversation around education, technology, and moving us forward. Today, I have the great privilege of talking with the owner and CEO of LuxBlocks, a great education company that has developed a product that you can use to innovate, inspire, and build. It's completely amazing. And I'm so thrilled to have Mike with me today because he's going to share with us his journey on how he came to develop this product, how the importance of education and building with our hands helps our students learn and retain their knowledge, and of course, talks about his background in education and the power of education, and especially in technology. Right now, we know that technology is a powerful part of how we are interacting with one another. And it's only gonna continue even as we move in post COVID. So the, the goal of our show in general for Coding the Future is to talk about how we can use technology to move us forward in our careers, how we can help the generation that's coming up behind us, move them forward in their careers with tech and understand that technology is a tool and we can use our own skill set to move our careers forward understanding tech. So today, we're going to explore this based on that K-12 education uh, concept, which you know I love is my heart and soul because my work is focused on helping K-12 entities integrate computer science into their curriculums. So, Mike, welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to have you. And... Um, Let's get started. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Sharon. Thanks for having me. It's, it's a blast. Uh, um, I, I like talking about this kind of stuff. It, it's, uh, it's very current. And uh, we co- my wife and I um, started this company because we had a, a vested interest in education. I was a teacher. Um, she studied education, and we had two boys. And we homeschooled the boys for a while. And we really uh, learned about uh, what's being taught, how it's being taught, why it's being taught the way it is. Sometimes people don't even know why they teach things the way they teach them. And, um, and uh, we had really thought about it. We've looked at the history of education, like back in the, in, in the um, 1700s and, and where it went from there and, and these beautiful movements that happened and kind of fizzled away that um, some of them probably shouldn't have fizzled away. So um, we based our whole technology on this idea of, from a historic perspective and a scientific perspective on what's the most important thing kids ought to be learning. And uh, what we're taught through the news and through media is a lot of propaganda, um, we think. Uh, you know, who's controlling the information about what kids should be interacting with? What's the hot thing? And it's always interesting. It's always a new uh, thing they're selling. Isn't that, isn't that a coincidence? What's, it's amazing. So I, was in a, I worked in the public schools in Chicago where they would buy these um, truckloads of computers. Sometimes they'd buy the computers and they'd never use them. They'd put them in a closet. 
mm-hmm. they're hauling so much tech into the schools, they didn't have the support to have the teacher teach the teachers how to use it. Right. So I saw the I saw the gravy train. I saw how it was working, and uh, it was such a it seemed like such a wasted opportunity and wasted capital. Um, and so uh, when we when we finally got a chance to for my wife and I to develop our own product, we really thought about what's the most important stuff, and it happened to not be electronic. Well, you know, and and you're spot on about that because as I even mentioned in the very beginning, I mean, tech is a tool, but if you don't know how to use the tool, then there's really no purpose of having it. Like you can pretend that it's going to help you, but you got to know how to use it and figure out how it's going to help you do what you need to do better. And so I like your concept of saying that this, your particular product is based around building and innovating and using your, like preparing your brain to be able to then use the tech for. Yeah, right. And we probed it, what's the nature of a tool? You know, what's a tool? And what's, uh, we see people as the tools that make the tools. We're tool makers. And we make tools to perform a job that needs to get done. And when it's done being done, we, we, we find out new jobs and, and either the old tools work or to make new tools. But we're the, we're, we're, um, the apex um, innovators in the ecosystem. Because we, we make tools that make tools, which is really interesting. And, but uh, we're big fans of Elon Musk. And Elon Musk's... Uh, Power or, or um, uh, abilities really comes from his philosophy, which is first principles. He goes back to first principles. Like, why, why are rocket engines so expensive? You know, and Buckminster Fuller, who said, why, are, why do you know how much your house weighs? Why, why not? It, we, 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 have, we have to know how much airplanes weigh. We have to know, how, uh, we, we have to know how much everything weighs to ship, like so boats and planes and trains and automobiles. We have to know all, these, all this data. But when it comes to houses and schools, we don't know crap. We don't know what's going in the school, what's going out of the school. Why not? It's like the most important thing in our society, training the new generation of kids. And we're really missing on the data. We don't know to value it. So um, that's what innovators do. They look at the data. They look at the, the physics of the problem. And the physics of schools is there. The physics is there. But it's such a wasteland of waste. And, and we wanted to make a product that um, went to first principles. I don't mean to be too negative on education. It's easy to do. But um, uh, we looked at who the innovators were, uh, Maria Montessori, um, uh, Pestalozzi, and Frederick Froebel in the, 19th, in the 19th century. And the great work they did at really exploring first principles, nature, and what kids ought to be exposed to at a young age. Well, you know, it is easy to go down uh, the train about education because there are so many pieces of it that aren't working. And, but there are pieces that are working. And it's hard to put into a generalization about the education system as a whole because it has grown and changed so much. And it's, you know, when you think about the logistics of moving kids and understanding how to fully, I mean, we're all so different you know, but yet we need to be equal in some capacity. So it, it's very easy to go down the negative train, but I like what you're saying in terms of you wanted to do something about it. Yeah, we're positive people. You, you start with a critique of the situation. It's not personal. It's not political. It's just what it is. Right. And you say, okay, where, where can we? Everyone has to start somewhere. We're really fortunate to start in the, the first parts of the 21st century. We have beautiful wealth for one thing, we're the richest culture ever in, in the history of history. And, um, but it's ironic that some people don't know what to do with all that wealth. They don't know how to, how to use it. And um, you don't have to have a billion dollars to teach a kid. You really could do a lot with a little with children. We know that, right? So, yeah. uh, so we try to make a tool that would be very useful and versatile for a teacher and a parent to um, start some really good conversations about what, uh, some first 
questions like why are things strong why are things squishy you know why does that hold its shape and that one, that thing doesn't that's a fundamental question that goes all the way back in our human history you know and you, it, some, for some people it's really important like if you can't get the sail to stay up on your raft you know you might you and your family may perish storm so uh the greatest innovation in history came out not from the egyptians that were static for thousands of years they had a very static technology they just did not move forward that's why we have much records of the egyptians because they did the same stuff for like four thousand years and put it in stone uh it was the, it was the innovators were the greeks when the Egyptians got hungry and they wanted olives and honey and wine and swords and things like that that they weren't making, they had the Phoenicians and Greeks send it to them. And they had sent it to them over the Mediterranean Sea, which is a very hostile little sea. It's mm-hmm. stormy. There's pirates. So they, the, the technology got so sophisticated. By the time Alexander rolled into Egypt, he was like space age technology compared to the Egyptians because the navigators and sea cultures are very sophisticated compared to land cultures. That's the kind of stuff Heather and I were studying, my wife, is like what makes some cultures do so well and some do so poorly. And um, uh, the Greeks are a really great case in point about a culture that just exploded because it went to first principles. We had to get this boat across the sea. We have to use physics and trial and error to figure out how to make a better, safer, stronger boat, faster, whatever. Man, that's really, I mean... Okay, so tell me a little bit more about the first principles. Like, I, I'm, I, get the, I, I know what they are, but can you explain them a little bit more in depth? First principles are basically physics. Like, what is actually really happening here, right? Uh, like, so, uh, Musk with the rocket engine, you know, everyone said, well, the co- conventional thinking is um, uh, that uh, are, are people oftentimes just quote what they think is what everyone knows, Right. They just say, well, that's just everyone knows that's true. Right. And a a first person thinker, a first person principle thinker might say, well, I I question that assumption. I question where you're coming from on that. Um, uh, Why do engines cost so much? They're just made out of metals that are relatively available and pretty cheap. So if we look at the metals that go in a rocket engine, they're, they're really cheap. So why is a rocket engine cost so much? And everyone's like, well, that's a ridiculous question. Everyone knows it's just they're so expensive. And he said, "I, I think that maybe we're wrong. And he proved the point and he started making really inexpensive, really good rocket engines. And Buckminster Fuller questioned like, why are we making houses so heavy and stupidly? Why why do we bring the crew to make a house to the site? We dig a hole in the ground and we have all these technicians come to the the site to build the house. If we made a car that way, our cars would cost millions of dollars each. So we learned in the 1920th century with Henry Ford that if you want to make something cheap, the actual workers in the factory can make, had it created an assembly line, right? So he was adopting first principles to manufacturing. He looked at every single mechanical ergonomic action of the hand, right, in the body that did every little function to make a Model T, right? And he said, how could I make that so we don't, I, don't have to have, I don't have to hire one master mechanic to build an engine by scratch like Ferrari was doing, but have 40 unskilled laborers do the same thing and make a car 10 times faster, that's first principles, looking at the problem through a very objective lens at the physical, actual happening of what's going on and um, innovating. You don't have to be a genius. To right. I mean, it's just going yeah. back to the fundamentals of yeah. the one piece that you mentioned that I thought was really intriguing because I was sitting here in my office thinking about that, about why is a house so heavy? And I, I really like the way you just translated that into thinking about how Henry Ford actually was able to cultivate cars at a quicker way, at a quick, 
quicker. Let me get those words hard, out. And I'm more quickly, uh, more quickly <laughs> um, by using the assembly line. But the same concept has really been in housing for a while, but people haven't adopted it in the same way. You think about modular homes or Absolutely. even, um, you know, prefabricated pieces that are, are made off site and brought on. People sort of have a weird concept around that, but that's a great point. Why? Why do we have that? Yeah. What's the difference? And that's going to change. Um, it, it has to do with cultural habits and um, uh, the idea of the the home being a prize and who's making the really a modern house is really a, a means for you know the Menards and Lowe's of the world to make lots of money um, because basically it's just an it's basically uh, kind of like just a landing pad for all the stuff you're buying from those stores, right? And it becomes a, a family's project painting the house, you know, putting on new drywall, putting on a patio deck, and it becomes a DIY project kind of thing. And, and uh, it supports that industry. But uh, the whole housing industry is very low tech compared to the industries we depend on and rely on and demand high performance, like getting, going from, from Charleston to Los Angeles in, in two and a half hours, three hours, without any hiccups, right? Without any, maybe it's four hours. But uh, so we don't even question the idea that we're going to get a smooth flight. We're, we, we pretty much, you know, we were hoping for a smooth flight. But just think of that. Uh, there's not much difference between a house and an airplane in terms of what it can do. Planes can do much more than houses. You can make a, you can live on an airplane, right? It has bathrooms, you got a kitchen, and, uh, but it, it, it flies at the speed of a hurricane and it's, uh, and it's safe, safer than a house probably. Did you, did you hear about the earthquake in Tokyo uh, um, recently and, and how many people were killed in the airport on the airplanes? It was terrible. No, I did not hear about that. It would, it would never happen. Airplanes just sit on that tarmac and shake during an earthquake. They never, nothing bad happens to airplanes in earthquakes because they're built with structure. That's a, I don't mean to be facetious, but the point is that we, we, we put huge amount of, of, of know-how into a bomber, into an airplane, into a boat, mm -hmm. into a car, because, because we have these demands. They have to be safe. They have to have high performance, right? But a house, you shake it a little bit and look out, right? A, little, a, a forest fire comes by and they're all wiped out. Why aren't, why aren't houses fireproof? Why, why haven't we demanded that? I, I believe we need to demand that. I'll tell you what, one thing that's made me nervous even about my own house is we've had a lot of trees that are falling all around us. And that yeah. structure of even how my house is, you know, if a tree falls on this, it's, it's, it's done. Period. Right. Kind of makes me want to go into, oh, yeah. a, into a container house. I've been doing a lot of research about the container homes, which are really interesting. That one's kind of intriguing. But while we're on this topic, let's talk a little bit about your product. Tell, me, tell us a little bit about Lux Blocks. And you've told us a little bit about the research and how this has all come to be. And, um, but what is this product and how are you using it to help change the way kids are thinking and motivating, um, having motivation to learn? Well, okay, so... Um like we talked about, and, and now, now it's your turn to criticize me. I, I said, now, it's not, now I'm going to make something and you can criticize it. Uh, we, we thought about for a long time uh, how things, my, I grew up in a construction family. So my dad was a carpenter. I grew, not only grew up in the house my dad built, but the neighborhood my dad built. All the houses on oh. the block were built. So I grew up in a construction site picking up pieces of wood so the carpenters wouldn't break their ankles. I saw every shape of wood imaginable cut from a skill saw and how houses went up and how, why they didn't shake and wobble. And so I had an intuitive feeling for why things were put together. And, and stacking, the stacking technology is about maybe 10,000 years old, people just putting rocks on top of each other and bricks and things like that. Um, but, and the, but the idea of snapping an element together and having it hinge like that 
That's a principle that comes out of nature. That's a molecular principle. Things are attracted to each other. They, they make a bond and the bonds have different degrees of freedom. That's, that's a very natural thing. When, when hydrogen and oxygen come together to make water, they don't stack like a Lego brick. They just don't. They don't. There's no stacking like that. The only stacking in nature really is like sedimentary rock when you have layers of soot that go to the bottom of a lake over mm-hmm. a period of thousands of years. But otherwise, nature snaps and hinges, okay? It makes these little hinges. And so we said, and, and that's what kind of what magnets do. And, and so we said, well, we should, make a, we should make a plastic product like a Lego with the same plastic as Lego, but instead of them making static connections, you know, we, they, they should hinge, it should snap and hinge. That was the technology we developed and patented. And what happened was you, you have um, what's called emergent, uh, emergent order. Emergent order is un, unexpected, complex order that comes about from a simple thing. Okay, so you, you, that you wouldn't expect. And here's an example of, of that. When you put these squares together and triangles together, you get things like this, right? We didn't expect that, this kind of flexibility to happen in, in complex things. Here's another example. So talk, talk me through that a little bit for the listeners. What are you showing me right now that's So, moving? well, uh, you know, you, hydrogen and oxygen uh, by themselves, you're not going to predict water. And, and water is not going to predict snowflake. It's not going to predict glacier and skiing, right? You're, you're not going to get from a hot, the little molecule that's presented to you all the things we think of about water. We're made out of water per, for the most part, right? So water right. has all these emerging qualities that are unbelievable and completely un, un, unanticipated. So when you put these little squares together, they make, and you can't really see it, but I'll show you. I'll show, it makes a sheet, right? You see that sheet? Like, like, like a sheet of paper or whatever, but it's a foldable sheet. It folds. It, it, it's completely foldable like paper. You can roll it right up. You see that? So what Mike is showing me is that the way his blocks are sunk together is they, they come together as a hook and hinge. And then with that hook and hinge, he's able to move them in a flexible manner so that you could turn it so you could actually see. So the idea here is what he's talking about with like a water molecule, you're able to put it together and actually see how a water molecule moves. Yeah, exactly. This actually will imitate like a wave pattern. But the minute, I fold, the minute I fold it, look what happens. Is it, is it moving now? So then when he takes the blocks and he folds it in half, it becomes a structure piece. Exactly. But it's called hinge, that, that technology of hinging and locking together is what creates the strength that you need but you can unhinge it and it creates the flexibility. Right. So in a car or an airplane, but they make them with sheet metal, thin sheets of metal, right? From like uh, a tiny thickness to maybe a half inch thick. It's very thin metal. And they bend the metal like, a, like your fender on your bike. Remember the fender on your bike, the shiny fender? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, been, it's been put in a press and it's, it has that bend in it, that fold in it, that curve. And that's what makes it so rigid. If you have the same metal flattened out, or even a kid could take that metal and bend it. It'd be flexible. So we look at corrugated like farm structures, like those silos you see on the side of the road, those, those like galvanized far, uh, corn silos, grain silos. Those are made with metal that's been bent, waffle patterns kind of, so they don't move. And that goes, if you look at the inside of a human bone, it's all this honeycomb shape. It's mostly hollow, right? But it's that, 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 that cell membrane that's been bent and folded in the leaf too, where you get this, this rigid structure. So strength doesn't come from thickness and heaviness like a stone building. It comes from the smart use of material, the intelligent use of material. We go back to kids and technology. Technology is a really smart application of cheap materials to do high functioning work. 
Okay, so silicone comes from sand, but look what we did with silicone, right? Right. So sand doesn't sand doesn't predict Steve Jobs. Sand doesn't predict Silicon Valley. But sand, it, we live in the age of sand, in the age of silicon, and, and computers that come out of silicon chips. So that's what I mean. But kids aren't thinking that way. They're not thinking about first principles that, that you know, those questions like, why are things heavy? Why, why, does the ball move, why does the ball move out of my hand when I throw it? That's not a stupid question. That's a Newton question. That's a fundamentally good, hard question. And everybody says, well, that's an obviously answered question. No, it's not. Most people on earth still can't tell you why a ball leaves unless they can just quote what Newton said, but they really don't know, right? So these aren't stupid questions, but they're not questions that they, 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 we specialize education so much that the, those questions don't come up until like high school physics, maybe junior high. And then they're just taught, they're just go, they, tell them, they teach it far enough to where the test terminates it. Once the test is taken, the kids may not see that kind of question until high school again. Right. And that's not how, that's not how you, they say uh, the Roman, there's an old Latin saying um, that re- repetition is the mother of learning. Yes. Right. And we've, we've abandoned that except for two things we demand performance. And that is sports and classical music. When it comes to sports and classical music, you play your arpeggios until you're blue in the face and your knuckles are sore. <laughs> and in sports, you throw the damn ball against the wall all day, every day. You don't get good enough. You haven't learned it ever, right? Until you're an old man and you die. If you're a baseball player, you continue to throw balls and throw balls. So that, that muscle memory, that 10,000 hours, is so essential for any kind of mastery. Of, and, it, and it comes to language, too. Teaching a child. We, we raised our kids with Suzuki education and Suzuki, uh, Suzuki um, classical learning, uh, classical music. music. Yeah. It's called the mother tongue approach, that you teach music like you teach language, Right. And um, we, we really embraced that when we, when we developed Lux. Well, I mean, I've mentioned this over and over again through my years of teaching that you have to repeat it. And, and honestly, I used like the, the rule of seven. So whenever I was teaching a new concept, we would at least repeat it seven different times. And I know you right. need more than that. But in general, to get them at least to the point where they're beginning to have that muscle memory, in particular, when you're learning something like a coding language, because at the core of what I my work is focused on is teaching a programming language, whether it be data analysis or web development or a simple software development course. But in order to do that, you have to keep practicing and practicing and practicing. And we do that innately when we're learning English as a child. We just don't know we're doing that, right? And then just exactly like you said, when you're wanting to cultivate a skill in a sport or music or even cooking, I think about cooking or art, people will do it over and over and over again because they have a passion for it. Right. right. For right. those of us that love tech, and I really liked your analogy of saying that the, the technology itself is built on very inexpensive materials that create a very powerful right. outcome. I mean, that's a beautiful metaphor of what tech is. And then we have this great power to do create on that technology, which is phenomenal. I mean, you think about all of the accessibility that has brought and goes back again to that first principle step. Well, why can't I create with this piece of tech? And then what can I do with this in order right. to improve? Right. And, it, I, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be contradictory. In a, in a, in a, I'm going to sound contradictory in a sense. You should, you should teach baby steps, right? And you should, you should bring things down to their fundamental principles, but also overteach. And that's what I mean. Yeah. This is Suzuki where you, you have kids play, you know, the scale and twinkle, twinkle little star, but they listen to Brahms and Beethoven and Bach. 
they listen to recordings of Yo-Yo Ma, but they're playing Twinkle on the, on the violin. Well, why am I listening to uh, uh, Mozart and Beethoven and Brahms and, and all these guys and, and Vivaldi? Because kids should be exposed to the mastered craft right. okay, while they're learning the basics of the craft. Because the brain, then your brain is learning how to appreciate the beauty of it and seeing the whole thing. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know how old you are. You don't look very old. I'm old enough to remember when uh, the, I saw the first Mac come into my high school classroom. We were on these dummy terminals that were telephone wired to the bank's uh, supercomputer. It wasn't a supercomputer at all. But we had a telephone call to the bank to, to run our basic and COBOL programs yeah. and Fortran. And, um, but, you know, it's not like learning the if-then function it goes so far beyond that, right? Computer programming goes so far beyond that. So, you, so the kids that were really good in the class were being, ex- the teacher was exposing them to some pretty high functioning programs that they couldn't write themselves, but they were like, they're coding geeks. They loved it. And so I, I saw that firsthand, how good teachers expose kids to the, to the state of the art, expose them young to the state of the art. Don't be afraid to do that um, because it's, it's how the brain works. We want to see it. We don't want to see uh, a documentary how movies are made. We want to see a freaking movie. We want to see Star Wars. Then we'll go back and see how they made the movie, right? Yeah. But we want, we want both. We want to see how they did it, but we want to see it, it done. Well, it's like thinking about starting with the end in mind. So playing the mastery yeah. of the music is starting with the end of mind, knowing where you're going to go and then taking the steps to get to where you're going to be. So we're going to be right back with Mike. He's got much more to share with us about the company and how he has built this company and the products. And I want to dig into a bit about the principal block and how that's a guiding principle in your business. And uh, talk a little bit too about where you see your company going and um, how people can connect and, and work with you. This has been really amazing thus far. So stay with us. We will be right back with more with Mike and Lux Block. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. From face-to-face training to blended training techniques, the DOT Consulting delivers distinct advantage for organizations looking to grow. We help you invest in technology knowledge through training, experimental learning, and community connections. Employees create an overall collective sharpness, savviness, and greater productivity using technology as a tool, thus increasing the technological speed and quality of the expertise in your organization. The DOT Consulting, a new level of tech savvy. Visit the dotconsulting.co. The world needs more women with tech skills. At the Dottie Rose Foundation, we encourage, support, and educate girls who have an interest in technology and want to learn how it can be used to enhance their learning and future careers. Our camps demonstrate that most future career paths will benefit from developing a wide range of increasingly important technology and software skills. We accomplish this through mastering computational thinking, boosting self-confidence, and creating new possibilities for each girl. Visit DottieRoseFoundation.org. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. We invite you to connect with the show today by calling in to 1-866-472-5790. 
That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Sharon at the.consulting.co. Now, back to Coding the Future. Welcome back to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. And we are back with Mike, who is the president and found, co-founder of Lux Blocks. He and his wife have founded an amazing company that teaches kids how to build, innovate, create uh, using their hands, but also applying technical skills um, all in one piece. Um, and we were speaking before we took a break, Mike, um, quite in depth about how the process of development um, came about for your product from all your years of education and the research that you've done historically on, on how education has grown, developed, reversed a bit, come back a little bit. Um, so tell us the, the whole concept around Lux Blocks is to build and create and innovate. Tell me a little bit about the concept of the principal block and what is that? Well, we literally tried to put into a, a singular block principles, okay? Because, uh, and that's, we wanted to imitate nature because uh, we have 92 chemically regenerative elements, the periodic table of elements, the 92. After 92, they become very unstable. They're like, like a mericonium lives for like, it has a half-life of like 20 seconds or something. So mm-hmm. after you get to uranium, things become very unstable and they start to change. So we have 92 building blocks in nature for the most part. And that, that, that will make us planets, stars, all that stuff. So, so what's going on in those atoms that they have so much uh, design in them that just give it a little bit of time, a little bit of heat, and a little bit of stirring, they'll cook like this, what, we're, what you and I are doing right now. Like, how does that happen? So uh, we went, we, that's called going back to first principles. Like, why is this happening? Why are leaves and, and kids... If you remember, it's hard, I know, but if we try to remember what it was like to be a kid, okay, and what excited us, what excited us was like creeks and, yeah. and, 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 and newts and crayfish and nature. We loved it. We couldn't get enough of seeing what a snowflake looked like, seeing a bunny rabbit and a baby animal of any kind of species. We love nature. Human, baby, human, human beings, young human beings are honest about their excitations. As we become teenagers, we try to we 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 don't grow out of, but we become bullied out of our expectations, and we only are allowed to be excited about things that we're supposed to be excited about, right? So a lot of adults become jaded; they lost touch with their true self, their default settings, their childhood settings. Okay, but innovators don't. Innovators try to try to go back to those default settings and be honest, really honest. So we we're trying to be really honest about Lux Blocks and what. What, why, you know, we wanted this kind of technology. I'm showing you my hand right now. I'm squeezing my hand. See that? We wanted that kind of motion in the block, that the motion of a hand, of, of the hinged finger squeezing something. And so we looked at, like, what goes into making that kind of a motion? Because if you can make the motion like in a human body, then you can make a block that can do pretty much anything because that, that, um, the, the degrees of freedom are huge. Right? right. So it Lux almost makes like a plastic clay, but it's a smart clay. So it'll do something like that. This is a, a, a biologist in, in, in Australia identified this as being the lipids inside of a muscle. And it shows the actual mechanical action of a muscle when it contracts. Okay. What do you show me right now is he's got his blocks put together in a molecule type format and molecule meaning circle. And it's, it's coming in and out and it's moving in a very fluid manner. Right, but it's just, those are only squares. Those yes, are they're only squares, and they're connected oh. by the hinge. 
Right. That's right. So that's that, that's a, a principle of modularity where the emergent order of the single this the single square right can't predict this ever. Like you're not gonna no one's gonna predict that would happen if you put these squares together. And we didn't either. We made this. A kid named Gerard developed this that works lives down the street from us. Okay, and it's uh, it's a, we call it a fidget flight. It's actually a Saris linkage. Okay, so. All this order was we, we developed this block with all these principles we knew about. We put them in the, in the block. We, we developed it. It took three years on a 3D printer with a 15-year-old German kid who lived across the street doing AutoCAD workforce. And I'm a portrait painter, so I can draw little sketches. He could put them in the computer, and we could print them on a printer. We used to do sometimes three iterations a day where he, he, I'd make a drawing in the morning. He'd, he'd make a drawing on the computer. I'd print it, test it, fixed it. He'd make another drawing. We'd print it again. And, and we did it for three years. Thousands of blocks were made. Hundreds of iterations were done. And um, finally, we, we developed this block. We started putting it together, and we were just blown away by the things that it was making. We're like, wow, we're not only right. We're more right than we thought we were. And we, we had, it took us a couple of years to figure out what we actually invented. That was the funny thing. You come up with an invention, then you figure out how to talk about it because it's teaching you. It was teaching right. us things about. So that, that's, that. So the difficult thing about our business is, you know, they say if you want to make a lot of money, uh, it sounds really cynical, but, you know, sell a stupid product to stupid people for cheap and you're going to make a lot of money. I mean, it's just people, look what's look, look, look selling on Amazon. It's just silly stuff right? The right. cheapest price that people want, right? But the hardest thing to do is sell people a product that solves a problem they didn't know they had. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's what we were doing. We think there's, we thought it was a problem. We think it's a problem, but no one knows it's a problem. No one knows that, that that's, no one's even talking about this being a problem. And the problem was human beings at a young age ought to be given the best tools possible to put their world together. And they said, well, don't we have Lego bricks? Isn't that good enough? Well, bricks were good enough maybe, you know, in uh, 3500 BC, right? Even the Romans went beyond brick and started doing, you know, uh, concrete. And uh, we don't make pretty much anything out of bricks anymore except the facades on buildings. We don't, the first world, second world countries don't use bricks except for decoration. So why are we giving kids decorative little building elements to put the, their world together? We wanted to give them something that was related to 20th century, first century cutting edge science, fractal geometry, modularity, and that's what we did. Um, that's exactly what you've done because when you take a look at the con of what you've been able to put together and the sheer amount of different innovations that you can make from one set of blocks is pretty incredible. Yeah, and the kids are always doing things we didn't anticipate. We were reticent to even give them instructions when we started. That's how hippy, hippy dippy my wife and I were. We're like, let's not give them instructions. Let them just build. And I'll tell you, the kids liked it. It was the store owners and the grandparents that freaked out because Lego had trained us that you need detailed instructions to make the models that some Dutch guy came up with in his, in his studio, right? And uh, we're like, no, that's not how innovation happens. They should probe and be, you know, we believe, we believe in her the power of heuristic thinking, right? Heuristic thinking is like trial and error. That's where, and if, you're, if you ever did art or music, you know, jazz musicians are heuristic. Even classical musicians have scherzos where they go off and they improvise. So great art and thinking comes from improvisation. That's where the, the, the fun I'm is. Not, I'm sitting here nodding my head over and over again as I cannot agree more. That is the one piece about being that has really hurt education in a particular way. And I say this with great love because we both are educators, but the, the mindset that you have to get it right 
and get it right on the first try has has plagued our education system for some time. And it's trained students to, to not necessarily fail forward. I always find it interesting when I'm working with kids, like we just, we, we're doing some work with robotics right now. And quite frankly, it took me three different times to build my robot because I didn't quite get all the pieces together where I wanted them to be. And then I turned one piece upside down and then I plugged it in the wrong way, you know, and, but I even noticed with my students that they were getting a little bit frustrated about not getting it on the first try. And I, and I kept saying, you guys, you're going to have to, you're probably going to have to fail. You're not, you might not get it right the first time, but that makes you more educated and better so that you know what to do. You know how to build it again and again and again and again, and you can help another person. But that right. facing forward and what you're saying is um, we do this in other parts of our life, but somehow in learning academics, we tend to flip that piece off and think we need to get it the first time. Right, because we were, we were loath to academic exercises. Human beings just hate the idea that they have to solve a problem that's already been solved. It's, it's insulting, right? So when we play baseball, a baseball game is not a demonstration to the audience of how to play baseball. It's to freaking win the game, right? Because kids want to be winners. Kids want to be superheroes. Kids want to be artists. So instead of having them uh, learn robotics principles, have their robots save humanity, have it knock down a wall, have it do something exciting, but don't tell them how to do it and tell them actually come up with an idea that's never been done before, innovate. They will light up. That's so what you want to kids, get kids engaged. You want to light them up by, by giving them the role of hero or artist or winner, right? That's, that's key. And look at the things that our culture loves, sports, uh, high-end music, Right? We love uh, architecture, buildings, the tallest buildings, the fastest ships. We love performance. Why not ask your kids to be performers? That's what they want to be. And then schools like there to, to throw a big wet blanket on all the children. And that's unfortunate. It doesn't have to be that way. Well, I like what you said, again, is with that end in mind. And I've had this conversation with uh, on a previous show with my friend William McNeely in terms of that's how he drove his career. Was he and what he's doing now with his nonprofit, which is called Do Greater. But he thinks about the end in mind and how to get there. What is it that he wants to accomplish and what are the steps that he needs to take to get to that end? I like that concept of um, and actually you can call it hippy dippy or however you want to say it, but by giving them a product and saying, go do is really pretty innovative in itself because we are so trained to look through instructions or build, or it should look like this, or it shouldn't look like this. But I like um, in particular, what you said about um, telling kids be performers or just, or be an artist or be a builder and see what they come up with. I think that's, Awesome. And I am going to use that in my next, uh, when we launch our next after school camp with Daddy Rose Foundation, I'm going to say be a performer. We're teaching them how to create music with code. And we're going to teach them some basic principles and then let them go. We'll see what they come up with. Well, and even things like home ec, like if you have them say, we want you to bake a, a bake a cake or make a meal for the classroom. Some of the kids in that classroom, it doesn't be girls, will light up. I get to cook a meal for the classroom or for the, the visiting parents. We're going to make a meal for the parents. Right. You've seen those little festivals kids do, you know, like it's yeah. French night. And that's amazing. Kids it, it, look at what kids get excited about. And as a good, I think a good teacher takes notes, says, okay, my kids would love to do this. How can I make this educational? Yeah. Um, give them an impossible goal. Well, making it, and, and I like the impossible goal and making it relevant to them. Part of the yeah. way that what I have seen success in my own teaching within some of the parameters that have 
have occurred over the years is finding, like you just said, taking notes and finding what the kids are interested in. You're spot on. And I know the sports was huge. So I did a lot of projects on data analytics around sports. I mean, we did one in particular that was driven by, um, I live here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and our professional basketball team, which was a big hit for my students that I taught at Philip O'Berry, they loved professional basketball. But Bobcats did not resonate with anybody in the city. If you lived in the city of Charlotte, you knew for a long time we were the Charlotte Hornets. And then that name got switched. And so they ended up doing a full project all around finding the name to change the name back to Charlotte Hornets. Kids, they drove that entire project, ended up presenting to the Bobcats themselves. And the Bobcats were like, listen, we spent millions of dollars coming up with the same answer that you guys found by just asking and innovating and collecting data and analyzing it and then presenting it. Mm -hmm. It was really powerful. And that owning their own education, yet also learning at the same time is what really began to transform my career as an educator. And really, as you said, finding that basic question of what they need to know and then driving my work based on what they loved. Because then they got excited. They lit up and they had some type of ownership in what was happening. Right. And the problem is, is is an administrator uh, under the gun of the state and the parents and whatever else, right, is say, well, how do I fit that into uh, the the testing? How does that, how how do we test for that? Is that, is that time away from test prep? And that's the most sad question ever uttered in the human language. It is. But that's what's happening. It's so upsetting. And I think to myself over and over again, you know, I know that there has to be a, 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 there, there is testing for some purposes, but it should not be what drives us. And in the end, what drives us is the, you know, this ability to have intelligence and academic knowledge. I'm thinking too, with your product, when the kids are able to take your blocks and build and innovate, what's the next step? After they build and innovate, what do you see them doing after they've created that molecule, after they've created that uh, next motorcycle, or they've created a DNA structure? What do they do next? That's a really good question. So, you know, what, and what do you do with anything you learn, right? So, um, I think that what you do with now, if you want to learn something, right, what's the best way to learn something? If you have to make yourself learn something, what's the best way to do it? I'm asking you for me personally, is to do it. Uh, better than, I, okay, I, I can say, what's even a faster way to learn it well than do it? Oh, boy. There's one step, there's one step even more efficient than doing it. Watch it? No. Listen. Teach it to somebody else. Oh, well, yes. Okay, I see what you're saying. So yeah. the next step, I think, is a kid learns something, a kid has an insight, but you don't want him to be the, the quiet little genius in the back of the room, right, who's figuring all this stuff out for himself. That, as a teacher, you're like, okay, now he comes to the front of the room, and he's going to tell us what he's been up to. Mm. And now everything in his brain has got to be reversed, and switched around, and new connections have to be made in his, in his brain or her brain, and they have to they have to spit it out of their mouth with words, right? And that becomes you know being a teacher is a high functioning thing, and we want our kids to actually teach the material because the next step in mastery is actually sh- to share it to the next generation, and to and it's part of our human functioning. So right. I say it's, to answer your question, whatever they learn, whatever they design, and they should teach it and, and teach the class how they did it. 
right? And in, in, in that process, they're, they're going to be way on to the next project themselves because they're like, okay, this is actually boring for me now. I'm like on step Z and I'm teaching you L, but I'll teach you L, you know? So yeah, that's my, that's my answer. Well, and you're actually right. I mean, you know, you think about even in our own journey between what, where we've been in our careers as teachers. I mean, there's many times <laughs> that I was learning or watching or doing something an hour before the kids walked in and I'm like, okay, so we're going to do X, Y, or Z today. This is what I got. <laughs> and here's what I know. And then y'all are going to help me do the rest. I did that uh, more times than I can count because there would be a new piece, something that would add on to what we were learning or a concept that I wasn't really sure how I was going to be able to share that with students. And I ended up more often than not having them help me. I would use that, that, um, that old uh, skip from Saturday Night Live of talk amongst yourselves, coffee talk, you know, and, talk, and I'll be back with you or y'all can share me what, what's come, come along with that. Where do you see Lux Blocks going in the next five years? What's your goal? What, what are you excited about what you're doing and where do you see the company? Oh, that's funny you said that. We're actually, I don't know if you know this or not, but we're actually writing a um, science fiction novel that's being published on our website every two weeks that a new chapter comes out. And it, the, the story is called Mars is for Misfits. It takes place in 2045 on Mars. And the two main characters, the protagonist and antagonist, uh, the good guy and the bad guy, Maggie and Vram, went to school with each other in fourth grade in Batavia, Illinois, and uh, in, in 2015, actually with the first class to have Lux blocks in the classroom. And uh, we're seeing how Luxblox has transformed the world in 30 years for the good and the bad. And Vram has come up, has designed this basically monstrous technology. And Maggie is a, is a biologist who has these two brilliant children too in Mon Mars. And she came, she helped de develop this Frankenstein monster with beautiful technology. But it's, it's, it's all about how technology could lead us in different directions, right? It could be really good. Like look, look social media has been such a great thing and such an awful thing. It's like, what's the verdict on social media? Well, you could argue both, both sides of that one really well. Anybody can be a Clarence Darrell on both sides of social media. So the, the book, Mars is for Misfits, written by Alan Crowley, I'm helping out on it, is basically about what happens with Lux Blocks in the next 30 years. That's, so what do we think about that all the time? Because we think we're actually a revolution in, in uh, hands-on making things with your hands and where education is headed. Because we think it's that high-tech could be actually not electronic, that high-tech could be reintroducing kids to their own fingers and how the world is put together without having the aid of a screen all the time. Because we think that could be actually uh, a hindrance and a dependency they don't have to have. Yeah, I agree with that piece. And I think that if you think back to even when we were children and there was quite a blend, you mentioned about you weren't sure how old I am. Well, I am 40. And I actually can remember the first Mac computer coming to our school too. And in my, my neighbors had one, they were really very, they loved all kinds of gadgets and things like that. And I can remember sitting in, um, my classroom thinking about Oregon Trail was what I love the most and moving and that that if then processing and having to move. It was a very simple program, but that simple program I go back to on a regular basis in my brain. And I mm -hmm. think to myself, oh my goodness, you know, those are basic principles that were used many years ago. Um, but I remember so distinctly that blended piece 
of using technology, but still using hands-on learning to create. I mean, we ended up recreating an actual physical representation of the covered uh, wagon that was used. I mean, all different kinds of things like that, that I think sometimes we forget to do now. Yeah. No, I, I agree. You know, we're, we're, we're a tech, high tech block company, but we ran two youth programs and we were always making an excuse to go in the forest and cut down trees and build wigwams and teepees and, and bridges and towers and dams because we wanted kids to actually build their world and know what it's like to cut a tree down and turn it into something, which is technology, right? Taking a raw material and turning it into something. So anytime you get the kids working with their hands, art classes should be in all the schools, definitely. I think dance classes should be in schools too. So the kids need to learn how to use their body with things more than just sports, and they should learn how to use their hands and make complex things. So tell everyone, how can they work with you? How can educators reach out to uh, work with you, purchase your blocks? What is the best way for that to happen? The absolute best way is just to contact me or, or our website. My, my, web, my email is mike at luxblocks.com. Our website's luxblocks.com. Go to the educators page. There's an educators page and you see our sets. We have a gazillion videos on uh, me or kids building stuff. And, um, and send me a question, you know, uh, we'll help you set up a program in your school. It'd be great. Um, and we, uh, Luxbox can support your mission. So it's not its own mission. It is kind of, but it could also support the mission of, of STEM education, having a makerspace. A lot of our customers are librarians because they've been deputized by a lot of principals to be the, the maker in the school or sometimes the STEM person in the school. Poor librarians. But kids don't read books anymore, so that's okay. So, um, but yeah, so it, our customers are all over the place. Librarians, STEM experts, like a STEM person in the school. But a lot of uh, our, and our, our age group is really preschool, uh, kindergarten through high school. Yeah. You know, it's not a baby toy. So it's not, it's not, uh, it does develop finger strength. And we do really well with autism uh, community too. We've done really well. We didn't anticipate this, but kids on the spectrum, for some reason, I could kind of guess, but they absolutely love our block. They, they're, um, I've heard something to do the executive function. You know, they, they come sometimes think uh, in stereo. So they'll, if they have a fidget, they'll calm down and listen better, but they can be doing something complex while they're listening. And um, Lux does really well with that too. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, I mean, I think the, the ability to be able to build so many different pieces with so many different, with the flexibility and the structure, it is very different than a Lego because once you put the Legos together, they're together and they're there. And it's different than any other block I've seen even my children have access to because you can build and take apart and with one set and do just so many different replicas and examples and all kinds of just amazing yeah. Here's an example of what you would think is a cone, right? But look what happens to our cone. It's like, a, it turns into like an orchid flower. It, it, has, it has the actual mechanics of like a flower of an orchid, right? So, so what he's showing me is he's got, he's got what looks like a cone built by the blocks and then he's taken it on either side and pushed it in to make it look, to show the flower. Right. So it's like the mechanics of like a petal. And so, yeah, so it's, it's really, we, we say we're the same plastic as Lego, but we put different principles into it. And, and so you can basically bake nature with our block. You, could make, you can make uh, not only something that looks like a flower, but acts like a flower. It'll bend like a flower. And um, that raises more questions. It raises more questions than a teacher will be comfortable with maybe because I think the ideal situation, the scenario in education is when kids ask teachers questions they don't, like you were saying, they don't have the answer to. That's when education is going in the right direction. Right? When the kids are stumping the teacher, 
because that's what you want. You want these kids who are going to do, become better than you and smarter than you and ask better, more probing questions than you. And, uh, and that's what Lux does, really does. It, it, it says, it has, kids say, well, you know, if you ask any adult, why are things squishy? They really won't know. That's actually a hard question to answer. Why is something squishy? You know, so go ahead. No, I really like that's gonna be my action item for today as we close out our show. I want you to go and find out why is something squishy? See if you can come up with an answer for that because actually I don't know. You know, I mean, I don't know why. I mean, I, I was thinking about that when you were mentioning it. I'm going to go Google that. So that is my action item for today. At the end of every show, we talk about an action item for our uh, listeners to go and do. So I want you to go and find out why is something squishy. Second action item is for you to go and please check out LuxBlocks.com. The product is simply amazing. I am a huge fan. We are going to be um, exploring more with Mike and his um, blocks uh, in my own organization and beyond. And I'm, fingers crossed, going to go ahead and put him on the spot that he'll come back and have another episode with us and talk more about some of the pieces that we're able to collaborate on. So everybody, Mike, one more time, tell everyone how they can reach you and um, so that they too can have access to this amazing technology. Uh, the website's luxblox.com. And you can, you can email me with Mike at luxblox.com. Just call, call you know, email me direct. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mike. This has been unbelievably awesome. I've learned so much. Action item for everybody today is go out and Google, why is something squishy? I'm really kind of quite interested. And let us know what you think. You can always email me at Sharon at the dot consulting dot co. You can reach out on the Voice America Network. And we cannot wait to have you all back for another episode of Coding the Future. And thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Coding the Future. Please join your host, Dr. Sharon Jones, for another edition next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk then.